I want to tell you today that God's hand is on your life. That's the title today. I want you to know this. God's hand is on your life. And if God's hand is on your life, I want you to know that means his favor is with you. How many of you want the hand of God to be on your life in 2024? To have a living God living inside of us. I, I just began to do a little word study this week as I was meditating on this idea of God's hand being on my life. And, and I just began to look through scriptures. I don't know if you ever do this, but uh, man, there's so many resources out there. I just began to, to type into a Bible word study, the hand of God. And you know what I discovered really quickly? That strength comes from his hand. Listen to these verses. Deuteronomy 3.24 says, Sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand. His strength is in his hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and the mighty works that you do. Joshua in Joshua chapter 4 was talking about how God parted the Jordan like he parted the Red Sea. And he said this, he did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord, you're good. Habakkuk 3, 4 declares his splendor was like the sunrise rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden Oh, if God's power is hidden in his hand, don't you want him to open his hand and put it on your life today? God's power is in his hand. I discovered that we're created in God's hand. Isaiah 64, 8 says, Yet you, Lord, as are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are the works of your hand. Genesis tells us that he formed man out of the dirt. Psalm 139 tells us that he formed us in our mother's womb. He knit us together. Not only are we created in his hand, but the word says we're kept in his hand. Isaiah 43 tells us that no one can deliver us out of his hand. Isn't that good to know? That if you're in the hand of Jesus, nobody can take you out of it. Isaiah 41.10 says, so do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Psalm 63.8 says, I cling to you. Why? Your right hand upholds me. There's strength in his hand. There's power in his hand. And there's a beautiful balance of strength and tenderness in his hand. Psalm 136 declares, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, your love endures forever. There is strength and might and tenderness in his hand. First Chronicles 29 says, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things in your hands. Our strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Did you know you have joy today that's available in the hand of God? Psalm chapter, I might as well just read the Bible to you this morning. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says, We make known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 145 says, You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. How many of you know that your Sunday school teacher was right? He's got the whole world in his hands. 
Now, I'm not going to give you all the verses because there's over a hundred scriptures that speak about the hand of God. And I want you to know that his hand is on your life today. What I do want to look at for a few moments, a little closer, is Ezra chapter 7. If you have a Bible, go to Ezra chapter 7 because in this chapter, three different times, Ezra speaks about the gracious hand of God on his life. More significantly... Not only does he tell us how much of an impact the gracious hand of God will have on your life, he shows us what the keys are to having the gracious hand of God on your life. And I want you to see that in these next few moments. As you're turning to Ezra 7, let me give you a little context. He comes from a long line of priests. He's a scribe. In fact, his lineage goes all the way back to Aaron, the high priest, who was the older brother of Moses. And so we read that in the first couple verses of chapter 7 in the book of Ezra. Tells us where he came from. At this moment in the history of God's people, Israel had, they obviously Moses led them out of captivity in Egypt, but then uh, after some time, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar uh, took over Jerusalem and he took the Jews into exile. So they were living in captivity in Babylon under that empire. And then the Persian empire came in and with King Cyrus, uh, he took over and, and he still wanted their money, but he said, I don't really care what God you worship. And so Cyrus allowed them to go back to Jerusalem so they could begin to rebuild the temple of God and to reinstitute the worship of God. And, and it was under the preaching of the prophet Haggai that they, they began to actually build the temple again and finish the job. This is where Ezra enters the story in the nation of Israel. He's going to lead the second wave of exiles that are coming back to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. And, and let's pick it up here in verse 6 of Ezra chapter 7. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given and the king, speaking of Artaxerxes, the king granted him everything that he asked. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. If you're a note taker, write this down. The hand of God gives you favor with people. The hand of God gives you favor with people. It says the king gave him everything that he asked for. Last week, we, we looked in Acts chapter 18, verse 10, and I showed you where Paul had a vision in the night, and God spoke to the apostle Paul, and he said, Paul, no one in this city is going to harm you. No one is going to harm and attack you. Why? For I have many people in this city. And God used the, the proconsul, uh, Galileo, to protect Paul from a certain attack that would have come on him. God loves his people, and he will give you favor with other people. Now, here's the deal. Everybody loves to say we're all God's children, right? Like, everybody loves that notion. Like, we're all God's children. He loves all of us, and, and there's truth in that. God certainly loves all of us, and from a creation standpoint, we are all God's children. But listen to what Jesus said about relationship with him and the favor of God. In John chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus himself said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me 
will be loved by my Father. I'll let you wrestle with the implications of that statement all by yourself. But the one who loves me is the one who keeps my commandment, and the one that keeps my commandment is the one loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. In Psalm 23, uh, verse 6, the famous Psalm of David, he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And we love to claim that. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But how many of you understand that the promise of Psalm 23, verse 6 is contingent on the application of Psalm 23, verse 1? The Lord is my shepherd. See, if you want goodness and mercy to follow you, you got to follow the shepherd. Because the goodness and mercy are following him. So when we look at the life of Ezra, we see a man who lived under the hand of the Lord his God. And what I want you to know is this. He wasn't lucky. He was consistent. Consistent. In fact, we get a little window into the why of the favor of God on his life in verse 10. Look at verse 10. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of God and to the teaching of its decrees and laws in Israel. Uh, some of you need to just slow down and highlight that verse. You need to write it down. For some of you, this might be your verse of the year right here. Here's what he did. He devoted himself to study, obey, and teach the word of God. And those things have to happen in that order, by the way. He studied, he obeyed, and he instructed. There, there's some stay-at-home moms that need to make this your verse of the year. To study and obey and teach the word of God to your family this year. I, th I think there's some people that God might be challenging to step up their leadership in 2024. And they feel incapable to teach, but that's because you're struggling with the obedience. And maybe you're struggling with the obedience because you're not doing the study. But this year, would you devote yourself to study and obey and teach the word of God? That's the key to a powerful church. Ezra devoted himself. That's what it says of the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They devoted themselves. Not only did he have favor with other people, but secondly, Ezra's journey was blessed. Your journey will be blessed when you're under the hand of of God. Look at verse 8 and 9, Ezra 7. It says, Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. That's a long trip. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. That's a long way to go. And we'll, you can read in chapter 8, he had a lot of people and a lot of stuff with him. But it says he arrived there. Look, I don't know where you're headed in 2024. I'm just going to assume and, and that you want to get there safely. I'll, I'll just make that assumption today on your behalf. Wherever you're headed, you want to get there safely. And Ezra had the gracious hand of his God on his life. Because God's hand was on him, not only did he get there, but King Artaxerxes, this is not a, a Jewish king. This is a Persian king. 
he wrote a letter for Ezra. You can read it in your own time here. It's verses 12 through 26. He writes this letter and in the letter he stipulates, I'm gonna load you down with silver and gold for your journey. I'm gonna give you so much silver and gold that it's gonna, it's gonna provide for all of the sacrifices you need to buy so that you can make sacrifices to the Lord your God. The goats, the rams, the bulls, the grain offerings. I'm giving you all this gold and silver and whatever's left after you've done all the shopping, I trust you to decide what to do with it. Not only does he say that, but he says, I'm gonna give you all the instruments and the furnishings that you need for the temple. It's great, I got the news that under Haggai's leading, they've rebuilt the temple, but there was a lot of things that the Babylonian king stole from the house of God. I'm giving it all back to you. I want you to take it with you, and I want you to have all of the proper resources so that you can worship the Lord your God when you get there. Plus, he goes on to say, I want you to have total access to the royal treasury. Like anything you need, just come in and take it. I mean, it's like Target in Chicago. Just take it, whatever you want. You can have it. I don't know why I'm picking on Chicago the last two weeks. I've never been there myself. But look at this. Look at what it says in verse 21. Sometimes I just got to make sure you're listening. Verse 21 says, now I... King Artaxerxes decree that all the treasures of the trans-Euphrates are to provide with diligence whatever Ezra, the priest, the teacher of the law of God of heaven may ask of you. I mean, come on, he's just given like a rubber stamp of approval on anything throughout the trans-Euphrates. Verse 22, he says, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of olive oil, and salt without limit. I'll give you everything you need for the journey, he says. And then when you read chapter eight, we get more details about the journey and specifically why the hand of God was so graciously upon his life. We, we won't take time to read all of it, but if you jump into Ezra chapter eight, verse 15, what you find is they take off on this journey and they realize we don't have any Le Levitical priests. Like of all the people that said, who wants to go back? They're all going back with Ezra. They don't have a single priest. Now that's a big deal because God communicated clearly in his word that there are certain jobs that only the Levites can do. And I think this is a great insight into uh, Ezra's intentionality about serving the Lord. Because Ezra, at this moment, he refuses to go forward. He doesn't call an audible and say, well, you know what, I, we'll, just, we'll just let somebody else do it. Somebody else can burn the incense on the altar. Somebody else can make the sacrifice. If we don't have any Levites, we'll just figure out another way. No, no, no. He made up his mind. He said, we're not taking another step until we fix this. Here's, here's the resolution. He says, I'm going to worship God according to the word of God. There's so many people that want to call themselves a child of God and, and, and align themselves with the people of God, except for this one problem. They have no interest in obeying the word of God. And Jesus said, the ones that obey my word are the ones that love my father. And those are the ones that my father loves. You want the hand of God on your life? Make a commitment today to say, I'm gonna live to the best of my ability according to the word of God. So he sends, he says, go, I want you to go and find, find this guy named Edu. 
And uh, he, he's the leader of Casiphia. Ask him if he's got any Levites he can send to us. Look at verse 18 of Ezra 8. It says, because the gracious hand of our God was on us, there it is again, they brought us Sherebiah, a capable man, praise God, from the descendants of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, and Sherebiah's sons and brothers, 18 in all. I want to tell you, they didn't just find one Levite. In fact, they didn't even find 18. If you read all of the chapter, what you discover is there were 258 men that were sent to serve the people of God in worship at the temple. Now, I know how people think. Some of you are hearing this message and, and about the favor of God and the blessing of God and the provision of God and, and the protection of God. And, and you're just thinking, must be nice, Right? That's what we do when we see God bless people. Must be nice. Must be nice. Isn't that what, isn't that what we do? But look at verse 21 through 23, because it reveals to us why the favor of God was so graciously upon his life. In Ezra chapter eight, they're, they're mid-journey now. They stopped, they got the Levites They've headed back, they're, they're moving towards Israel. And he writes to us, there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and for our children and for all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road. In other words, I mean, he gave me everything else, you know, limitless supply of salt, Silver, gold, all the stuff we could need. He could have sent an envoy to protect me, but I didn't ask for that. Why? He said, because I told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So here he is, like he's like, God is for us. He's not against us. He, he's protecting us. And now he's out there. He's got all this gold. He's got all this silver. He's on a four-month journey. He's got all the women and the children. And he's thinking, I should have took the military back up. I, this, is, this is maybe a, a, an uncalculated mistake. And, and instead of going back and saying, you know what? Uh, on second thought, I, I could use a little protection. We got like four more months ahead of us. Instead, he says, you know what? The reason I didn't take the protection is because I, I told the king that the gracious hand of the Lord was on us. And I don't want the testimony of my life to tarnish the glory of my God. This might get tough. This might be scary. And I don't know what's ahead of us, but God help me. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. And so verse 23, he says, so we fasted and petitioned our God about this. And he answered our prayer. You want to know why the gracious hand of God was on Ezra? Because he humbled himself. He acknowledged, you know what? I, I, maybe I made a mistake here. I, I, I didn't ask for help. But I'm out here needing it now. God, I humble myself. I can't do this without you. He humbled himself and he fasted and he prayed. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, the apostle Peter tells us, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God, 
God wants to put his hand of blessing on your life. But for some of you, it's like whack-a-mole. You won't humble yourself. and You, you won't stop. Be still. Humble yourself under his hand. And in due time, he'll lift you up. And that's what Ezra did. He humbled himself. He prayed. He sought the Lord. It's interesting. The very next thing that Ezra does is he collects the offering that was designated for the house of God and he gives it to the priests. They're not even there yet. They had it, you know, it's all, it's all loaded up. They're gonna take it to the temple. They were gonna give it to the Lord at some point, but right there, in this moment of humility, of consecration, of prayer and of fasting, he says, you know what we gotta do? We gotta get the blessing out of our hands and into God's hands. We, we, we've gotta give the offering right now. So there they are on the journey. They're not even there yet. They give the offering to the Lord. You know, Malachi chapter three and verse 10 declares to all of us, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. This is God speaking, that there might be food in my house. And then he says this, test me in this. The Lord Almighty says, this is the only time God invites us to test him. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. See, it's, it's easy to envy people's blessing when you don't know the sacrifice. But we get an inside look. Here's a man who's humbled his heart. He's fasting, he's praying, he's giving sacrificially. And the gracious hand of God is on his life. He's studying the word, he's obeying the word, he's teaching the word, and the gracious hand of God is on his life. Here's the third thing I want you to know today. God's hand gave him courage. When the hand of God is on your life, you have an uncommon courage. Look at verse 27 of Ezra 7. This is the third time in this chapter that he says this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way. He's just received all that blessing in the letter. And, verse 28 says, who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Again, he's giving praise to God for the favor he's received from people. Why? Because... The hand of the Lord, my God, was on me. I took courage. And I gathered the leaders from Israel to go up with me. In other words, what Ezra is saying is if, if, if I had not sensed that the gracious hand of God was on my life, I would have never left. I mean, this was a big, scary venture to lead all these people back to Israel, to carry all these valuables for a four-month journey. He said, but because the gracious hand of the Lord was upon my life, his attitude changed. His attitude changed. It shifted. He gathered leaders and he took action. I want you to know today that God's hand on your life will give you Courage, And then here's the beautiful thing about the heart of Ezra because a lot of us, it's easy to have a heart of humility where we're desperate. But then after God blesses us and everything works out, that's when the real test comes. That's when your character is really on the line. Not, not when you're uncertain and, and, and in absolute need of God's help, but when everything has worked out and we get a little glimpse into the heart of Ezra at the end of the journey, 
Back in chapter 8, after they've gotten there, after they've survived all of the, the dangers, he says in verse 31, on the 12th day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us and he protected us. He protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. As our worship team comes back, I want you to just consider today what it looks like to have the gracious hand of God on your life. With God's hand on your life, you know what it's gonna do? It's gonna open doors of blessing. Jesus said in Revelation 3, I have the keys of David. I can open doors that no man can shut. I can close doors that no man can open. When his favor is on your life, when his hand is on your life, he has the keys in his hand. He will make blessing happen for you through other people. When God's favor is on your life, he'll protect you from destruction. He'll keep you. I, I saw it just over this Christmas break. My oldest daughter was home from college and her and my daughters and a couple other students from our youth group were all driving down Route 30, heading to the mall. Her tire blew out right there on the side of the road. She had to pull, pull off the highway and I, I look at that and I go, thank God for his protection. Boy, that could have been so different. She could have been in the left lane and not the right lane. There could have been another uh, tractor trailer driving by. She could have panicked. She's never had that happen before. The scenarios can go on. And if we live in that realm of the imagination, how many of you know we can get crippled with fear? I'd be tempted to take her keys away and go, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't drive anymore. Or I can recognize the gracious hand of the Lord our God will protect you from destruction. The hand of God will give you courage. Some of you need courage in 2024. For some of you, if I can be personal, let me just remind you that at the beginning of 2023, I spoke a word that I felt like was a word for our church for this year and said, don't hold back. And, and maybe there was something in your heart you knew right then, God is telling me, I gotta do this. I gotta take that step. I gotta take that job. I gotta go after that degree, whatever it was. And, and now here you are at the beginning of another year with a heavy heart because you didn't do it. I want you to know today, the gracious hand of the Lord will give you courage. Don't stay in defeat. Don't spend another minute in last year. You have a declaration. The living God lives in you. You can declare his promises over your life. They are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how do we do it? We're about to pray, but th these are the handles. How do we do it? I wanna encourage you to do what Ezra did. Chapter seven and verse 10 told us he studied the word. He studied the word. Some of you are only seven days into your read the year in a Bible plan and you're six days behind. <laughs> How many of you know the goal is not to check all the boxes? The goal is to know the author. Study the word. Study the word. Don't just study the word though. Obey it. Obey it. There, there's, there's some people that they, they try to study the Bible and, and they're like, I, you know, there's just so much of it that I don't get. 
And often, you know, I, I, I'm empathetic to that because I'll be honest, I've been preaching the word for 20 years and there's parts of it I don't get. But what I wanna say is, would you just do the parts you do understand? <laughs> like, like, if we would just obey the part we do get, man, we'd be a powerful church. He studied the word, he obeyed the word, he taught the word. Doesn't matter if you, you preach from a platform or if you lead in your marriage or in your life group or your children or just in a conversation with a coworker, teach the word. Don't just learn it and study it for yourself. Don't be the pail, be the pipe. Let God flow through your life. Ezra fasted and prayed. Some of you have never fasted before. I'm not gonna take time to talk about that today. But I'm talking about having an intentionality of seeking the face of God, of saying, you know what? We're, we're gonna do this according to the word of God and we're not going a step farther until we know the gracious hand of the Lord our God is on our lives. He honored the Lord with his offerings. Some of you, you say, man, I, I've been asking God to bless me and bless me and bless me. And, and the reality is all of life is a stewardship test, friends. So if God has blessed you and you hoarded the blessing, instead of stewarding the blessing, your life is like the Dead Sea. The blessing's coming in, but there's no outflow. God says, I, I, I want to open up the windows of heaven and pour out more blessing than you can contain. Not so that you try to contain it all, but that you recognize you are blessed to be a blessing. And if you will live from a posture of saying, God's goodness is a limitless resource so I can live with a heart of radical generosity towards others, God is gonna put his gracious hand on your life like you've never experienced before. He blessed the Lord. He studied the word. He took courage and he stayed humble. I wanna invite you to stand again as we end this service today. We're gonna to go right back into a moment of prayer. I know we prayed together earlier, but I just really sense in my heart that on this first Sunday of the year, we need to spend some time seeking the face of Jesus. So once again, if you wanna to come to the altar, these altars are open. If you want to just stand there in honor of God's presence, you can do that. If you want to kneel down, you can do that. But let's take a few moments right now and consecrate ourselves again to the Lord. Father, today, as we just meditate on your word, because it is primarily how we know you, through the way you've revealed yourself in your word. God, we look at the life of Ezra today, and we ask, Lord, that we could say as he did, the gracious hand of the Lord was on me. So God, today we make a fresh commitment to study your word, to obey your word, to be your mouthpiece, to teach your word, to share your word. God, help us to understand our, our responsibility in 2024 to be ministers of reconciliation, to be heralds of the gospel, God, you've called us to be salt and light in this world, and you want to bless those who are walking in obedience to your command. So God, help us today. Lord, for those of us that, that we feel conviction right now because we know we've missed the mark, we know we've fallen short, God, we repent. 
We come humbly before you today. We ask you, Lord God, to strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God that lives in us. Would you empower us, Lord God, to make a fresh commitment to you, to study your word, to obey your word, to teach your word. God, call us into a, a, into a, a deeper passion for prayer. God, that we wouldn't just drown out all of the, the margin of our lives with noise. That we wouldn't miss the moments for conversations in the stillness of your presence. God, help us to, to discipline ourselves, to turn off talk radio, and to have a conversation with the God of heaven. Lord, give us a heart in this year like Hezekiah that says, I'm going to work with all of my heart, but I'm going to pray and seek the face of God. I'm going to cry out to heaven about everything, the big things and the small things. God, thank you that you're surrounding us on every side. Thank you that you hear us when we pray. God, let this be the year that we honor you with the blessing that you've blessed us with. Jesus, you said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God, we want to we follow you with our whole hearts this year. Help us to prioritize our, our, our finances and our resources to a heavenly purpose. And God, I pray today for courage. For those that, that feel paralyzed in moving forward. God, may we say today, because the gracious hand of the Lord, our God, was on us, I took courage. God, thank you today for your presence.